Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 377 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Laura Cubero. Laura lives in Melbourne, Australia, where she is a neonatal nurse. And I feel like I said your last name wrong after practicing it. Did I? No, you said it right. It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> As it came off my tongue, I thought this is wrong, but <laughs> no, no, you said it just fine. I'm so glad. Well, it is great to talk to you today, Laura, and you are living in a Friday and I'm living in a Thursday, thanks to the time change. Yes, it's Friday here. We're welcoming the weekend. Love it. I got a, one more sleep. Oh, and then tomorrow I'm recording the audiobook for my new book. Oh, how exciting. Which, by the miracle of time travel, by the time this podcast comes out, will already be available. Oh, amazing. <laughs> you must be so excited. I'm really excited to be done recording the audiobook because I do not like recording audiobooks. Yeah, I imagine it would take a lot of time. It's a lot of work, but I'm really excited for the book 28 Day Fast Start Day by Day to get out into the world because I really think it's a book that a lot of people will be able to use to get them started. So everybody listening, it's available now. Go ahead and get a copy. So anyway, shameless plug. (laughs) No, not shameless. I'm excited too. Can't wait. Well, thank you. So you know I like to start by asking, what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? Like everyone, I'm going to say there's a long story and a short story. I'm going to try and just pick out some pivotal moments for me because just to keep it a bit shorter. So the long story is I come from a Spanish background home, kind of like Roxy. Shout out to Roxy. Hello, Roxy. 
I'm Roxy. So my parents are from the south of Spain. We've had a lot of Spanish influence through our food. So I grew up sitting at the table, eating our meals. I wouldn't say it's like 60s, that sort of three square meals a day, no snacking, kitchen is closed. But definitely my mum was like, you're going to ruin your appetite. Don't have anything before dinner. If you don't eat what's packed in your lunch, then you're just going to have to wait. Like you can have an apple, that sort of. And the food was whole. I could identify what everything was. So we're pretty healthy aside from the occasional deep fried something in the 80s and 90s. We had those big deep fryers. You don't see them now. We see air fryers. That's the thing. Um, so, oh, you're right. I, everyone has air fryers now. Yeah. I don't. I don't have room Me for too. one. But I had the like the fry daddy. Yes, the full on <laughs> fish and chip shop. Yeah, uh-huh, you can fry yeah. anything in it. So, mum had one of those, which used to freak me out a little bit because it just looked dangerous. It just looked dangerous, full of hot boiling oil. Anyway, so that was like the probably the worst of the food that we'd eat, and then we'd have takeaway maybe once a week. Mum wasn't really concerned with her diet growing up, so I wasn't concerned with my diet growing up, but my skin, as I got into my teenage years, became really quite aggravated. I had cystic acne. It was to the point where I'd like smile or laugh and my skin would just bleed. It was so painful. Yeah, it was terrible. It was like cyst on top of cyst and So my journey actually started with acne. I was bigger than all my friends. They were all tiny, five foot nothing, 40 kilos, which I haven't converted to pounds, tiny, just tiny. And I was 167 centimeters. I developed early. I had a very womanly body by the time I was 16. So I was sort of towering over everyone. I had this acne and I just felt like I took up so much space in a body that wasn't really big, but I was carrying extra weight because as a teenager, I was just eating whatever I wanted, really. And my family was eating relatively healthily for what we thought at the time. So I didn't really give too much thought to diets at all. So are you still 167 centimeters is that still your height? Yeah, I'm 166, 167, give or take. Okay, I just converted that for everybody. That's about five feet six inches. Yes, yeah, that's that right. sound right. Five feet six. All right, I just want to put that in there. Yeah. All right, so you were five six, so you're just a little bit, little bit taller than me, but not by much. Yeah, so you had a lot of little tiny friends. It was by contrast. So I was like, everyone else is short and small. So I was like, well, obviously it's just that I'm a minority. There's nothing wrong with me. And I'm so grateful for that mentality that I had because it could have crushed me. It really could have. And I'm so grateful that social media wasn't around at that time also. I had a pretty strong sense of self, even as a teenager. So I just thought, well, this is the body that I've got. There's not much I can do about it. But the acne was really crippling me emotionally So I went through a lot of treatments with that. I did Roaccutane. I did what everyone told me to do, toothpaste, lemon juice, don't eat chocolate, don't eat dairy, don't do everything. So I spent thousands of dollars and it came down to a really complicated chronic hormonal imbalance. So I got tested for PCOS. That was fine. It was just extremely difficult to treat, Jen. I just, it's been the bane of my life, honestly. So I got to about 18 years old and I was sick at home and uh, Oprah was on TV. Oh gosh, Oprah. I know. I I love watching Oprah like every single day. Oh, she was a game changer, wasn't she? Absolutely. She just changed my life. Yep. Love her. And I'll never forget this episode. I was sick with the flu and I was on the couch watching this episode of a couple who had, I think, combined lost something like 50 pounds between them. And their pitch was that you eliminate one naughty food group. So one of them got rid of fizzy drinks and sugar and the other one got rid of cheese. And as an 18-year-old, I was like, are you telling me that one slice of this plastic cheese, you know, the one that comes in the plastic? Yes. If I get rid of that every day, that I'll lose 10 kilos without doing anything else in a whole year. That's what they were claiming. And they were basically saying, yes, and Oprah went through different tables of different foods that if you just get rid of this one little thing every day, little things add up to big things. So I had a moment, sick as I was, and I was like, well, I do have that cheese every day, so maybe I'll stop that. 
And then they went on to talk about sugar and looking at the back of labels. So I was 18 at the time and I tuned in, thank God, to this conversation. And I listened to every word they said. And they said, and the most important thing is that just because it says it's low fat doesn't mean it's good for you. And that they'll often load the food with sugar to replace the flavor that they've leached out, removing the fat. So this gentleman had said, we don't eat anything that has more than eight grams of sugar per serve and gin. Those words changed my life. From 18, I was checking the back of food packets and I would say around that time I was winding up high school, going into uni to study nursing. I would probably, I don't want to say this word because it gives me the ick, but I often get referred to as like a hippie sort of thing. So with my friends. Oh, I get it though. I Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. say holistic, but, you know, yeah. people I know. Well, it's an attitude. Right. right. I've, I've been called that too. Like there was in my early to mid 20s, we had a group of friends and my nickname was Hippie Chick. Oh, I love that. And I really wasn't. But I mean, it's annoying. I wasn't, wasn't all that hippie, but <laughs> yeah. I know, but just I guess because it's just kind of an easygoing, yeah, yeah, way of being, yeah, right? or maybe not not following the masses, or maybe just not not maybe. eating, I don't know, junk food. So it really started because I wasn't eating meat. So I didn't eat meat for ethical reasons for a long time, and I was pretty health conscious. I would almost lean in towards the word orthorexia, but I don't like that either because I feel like I didn't demonize food. I still ate chocolate, which is something I still to this day really love, but good quality chocolate. I don't eat junk food. I've never liked fizzy drinks because this is kind of hilarious. When I was little, I didn't like the bubble sensation in my nose. I was like, oh, I'm not drinking that. And see, here I am with my San Pellegrino drinking it right now. (laughs) I love the bubbles. Well, I love it now. (laughs) I love it now. It really gets me through my fast days. Now I've had to learn to love fizzy drinks. So that was a struggle of mine that I had to get over. So yeah, never got into fizzy drinks. Didn't like lollies. It made me feel sick. So I was kind of like you as a child. I sort of steered more towards the crunchy, salty things. And that's my vice now. It's still hard for me to like, yeah. So in that period, 18 to like 20, I started becoming more aware of my body. And I was like, well, if all these medications haven't worked for my skin, they've put me on birth control. They've put me on Roaccutane. They've put me on, I don't know how many doses of antibiotics. I'm just going to try something myself. So I eliminated dairy. I started exercising. I quit smoking at 19. I'd been smoking from a young age. Well, I, I know. it's Once you start, it's hard to stop. And when you're young, you make bad decisions, right? right? Yeah. So. I'm glad I started young because <laughs> I finished young. So good. Thank God. Yeah. So that was done and dusted by the time I was 19 and I was going to the gym. At that point, just with all of that happening, I lost about and incorporating that that uh, advice that I'd seen on Oprah, I'd lost about 14 kilos. So I went from a weight of about, I think I got weight at the gym at that point, maybe 72 kilos. And I got down to 65. I never weighed myself ever. I just stayed away from the scales because it upset me too much. And when my friends would say, I weigh 42 kilos, I weigh 45 kilos. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got 20 kilos on these girls. So I just had this very early natural aversion to the scales. It didn't help me, so I stayed away from it. Um, Never owned any. So you went from about 158 to about 143 during that period of time. Yeah, just with exercise, diet, yeah. In that time, my skin cleared up tremendously, but I didn't connect the dots that I was also eating barely, no processed foods. I was eating less frequently because I didn't want to undo all the hard work that I'd put into the gym. So when the dermatologist asked me, what factors have do you think have contributed to your skin clearing up? I thought it was exercise, but I didn't connect the dots that actually I was intermittent fasting since I was in my 20s. I stopped putting milk in my coffee way early on. I have a thing about milk, the creamy texture of milk. So actually, even though I loved the taste of it, I had to get rid of it in my coffee. So I've actually been drinking black coffee for about 15 years now. 
that was fine. But so you were accidentally doing intermittent fasting and you didn't That's know That's right. It. Yeah. Thank you. You pulled me back in. Yeah. What were you doing as far as like, I know you mentioned that you had stopped snacking, you were eating less frequently. What did that look like for you? We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. So it basically looked like in the morning on my days off, I would get up, I would exercise and have something really small to eat because I thought that's what I needed to do. I needed to fuel myself for my exercise. But my exercises were getting quite intense and I could feel my little piece of sourdough bread with my banana and peanut butter moving around in my stomach. And I was like, this is not comfortable. And a lot of my fellow gym goers were fasting when they were going to the gym. So I might also add that they were taking BCAAs and pre-workout and I never subscribed to that. I never subscribed to diet culture because I just thought in my mind, if you're eating correctly and you're moving and sufficiently, there's no need to count calories. There's no need to to take some external smoothie or pill or what have you to maintain your weight. I just never believed that. So I didn't go through all that. I just thought, well, there's people out there that are effortlessly skinny. Let's just watch what they do. And I'd watch them eat and think, I can't eat like that. They just pick and pick and they take so long. And I just wanted to <laughs> inhale my food. <laughs> So in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know that there's people out there that are naturally thin and it's possible to remain in that small body without having to take BCAAs or lift 100 kilos above my head. I knew that. I mean, they were not doing any of those things in like, you know, if you even look back, not even that far. I remember when my dad started jogging, I was maybe like 10 and jogging was new. I mean, it was like a new thing that people were doing. Nobody was jogging before that. This was like the, if I was 10, it was like 1979. People weren't doing all that. They didn't go to the gym and they managed to stay slim. If you just said, give me the BCAAs, they would have been like, what are you talking about? What is that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) suddenly we did not all of a sudden develop a BCAA deficiency that must be met. Exactly. And that's like the bulletproof coffee train. Like I jumped on that for a bit and I was like, no, this is ridiculous. I just don't, this is not necessary. I just don't think I've always been like, I just want to keep my life simple and as close to our natural state as possible. And even in my practice as a nurse, I'm like that. Can we just try try and trust the body to do what it was designed to do. So I've thankfully have had that sort of seed planted in in the back of my mind, even as a, a young girl growing up. 
So you were at the gym and you were eating a little bit before you went, but then you realized other people were not eating before they worked out. So did you eventually drop the meal that was before the working out? Yeah, I stopped, but I still didn't think I was fasting, Jin, because as a clinician, when I ask a patient to fast, no coffee, no tea, just plain water. But I was having black coffee. So in my mind, I still didn't think I was fasting. So fast forward to probably 10 years ago, I was in my physical prime, tiny, like I was in a size, I've written it down here, maybe size two to a four, which is a size six to an eight, quite muscular. But in my mind, I still hadn't weighed myself at this point, but I'm going to wager now that I know how much I weigh. I was probably sitting at around 128 pounds at the time. Pounds. Okay. Yeah. Very muscular, very fit, super healthy. So you, about 10 years ago, you were in just in really great shape. That's right. Yeah. Two of my closest friends from work had mentioned that they were intermittent fasting. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. What, how, why would I? That's so extreme. Like, <laughs> like, I don't need to lose weight. So I don't need to intermittent fast. And eating in, a, in an eight-hour window, how ridiculous. Like, so I just forgot about it. And then 2020 came and flipped everyone's world upside down, including mine. So my acne had been gone. My body had been in my prime for most of my adult life. And then COVID came and there were a few factors that came into play with COVID. I had a failed relationship. I sold and bought a house, lots of stress at work, lots of stress all around. And for the first time in my life, I went to food for comfort and alcohol. First time ever. It was really new for me, Jim, because normally my go-to is meditation, journaling. I'm very self-aware. I'll go for a walk. I'm, it was just a really unnerving feeling that I couldn't stop myself from going into the fridge and just snacking mindlessly. And it felt good. It felt so good. And then after two years of this stress eating cycle, I saw a photo of myself at work and I thought, oh, oh, Oh my gosh, I've put on like, I, I didn't even recognize myself. I did not even recognize myself. I did not see it in the mirror. I All I saw was my bum was getting bigger and my breasts were getting bigger. And I just felt like I had that womanly shape. I carry the weight quite well when I put on weight. So it sort of, it does sneak up on me either side when I lose weight. And when I gain it, I don't really notice it till I see myself in a photo and I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Yeah. And I think that's a very common story from that 2020 to 2022 period, just because the world was turned upside down, especially for you working in healthcare. And it was so hard for the healthcare workers. And I bet there were lots of babies and their parents couldn't come in and you're, you're taking care of the babies and you didn't know, are you going to make the babies sick or are you going to get sick? So it was really, really scary. So I think a lot of us coped in weird ways that weren't used, we weren't used to because it was just a lot. It was a lot. And I felt like probably after a year, we weren't allowed to take leave um, during that time. We had all out, this was hospital wide for my organization. And we had all of our leave pause. So we couldn't really take break. And then we were, a lot of staff were furloughed during um, the COVID period. So if you were a close contact, if you had COVID, if you knew someone who had COVID, like we were just dropping like flies. So the stress was enormous at that time. So I gave myself a lot of grace that I was eating unusually a lot, unusually sweet, unusually just excessively. I was eating a whole pizza on my own every week and I looked forward to it. I was like, pizza was my, it was just a big hug at the end of a hard week. It was a big hug. I get it though, because you were like, had to have something to look forward to. And were you living alone at that time? Yeah, on and off in between moving into my home. Yeah, I was with my mum for a bit and then came here. And once I was here, oh my gosh, no one was watching me. I just went to town. I went to town and I did, I, in the moment I enjoyed it. But when I saw that photo, I was just horrified, Jen. And I thought, what a mess you've made. What a mess. And I I went to my mum's house and I used her scales and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was, um, so I think at my heaviest, I was 76 kilos, which I've calculated to be 167 pounds, which for me 
it was just way too much. It was just way too much. And I just looked at myself in the mirror and I went, right, no, no, this is going to change right now. So I'm very much a uh, planner and I like writing things down. And I was started to compile a list of lifestyle changes that I was going to implement because I feel like when I do things like that, it starts to get the ball rolling and it gets the idea out of my head onto the paper and essentially it's the first step taken. So my first step taken. Well, I love the way you phrased that. You said you made a list of lifestyle changes. Like you knew it wasn't just as simple as, all right, bye to the pizza. I can't keep eating the pizza. You knew that it had to be bigger. It had to be a lifestyle that had to be a big change. You weren't just going to diet your way back down or whatever. You were going to make changes that were going to be permanent. And I knew it was going to take time. It took me two years to get to that size. So another huge factor in this is that I knew that time was going to matter and that I had to be patient with what I'd done to myself. Essentially, I needed to give myself time to undo all this. My exercise was becoming futile, Jin, because I was getting heavier. I was waking up maybe hungover sometimes on my days off. Yeah. So I didn't have the stamina anymore. So I was like, well, I'm having just one glass of red. I'm going to cut back on unnecessary sugars. So that stopped. And that led me down the keto path. That's a whole other story. But the keto path, that did kickstart my journey. I lost about eight kilos in about six months with that. So in that time, I was I eliminated breakfast and was having the bulletproof coffee. Then I was having some sort of really big hearty salad, maybe two to three o'clock in the afternoon. And then for dinner, I just had whatever I wanted to have. And when I say whatever I want to have, it's usually some sort of protein. I started eating meat in COVID as well, just because I felt like I missed it. That's the reason to eat something, right? You haven't heard it yet because the episode hadn't come out, but listeners have. So in the last episode that I recorded, I talked about how I just went down diet brain thinking myself and I was eliminating things in the name of health, not weight loss, because I was like overreacting to my dad's health challenges and thinking, well, I don't want to ever get, I started to miss things. And I'm like, wait a minute, why am I taking all this stuff out? So if you miss meat, you add meat back in. What did you miss? We're, we got to enjoy our life. Well, I went down the whole food plant-based rabbit hole again, just because I know I feel so good that way. Me too. The more plants I eat, the better I feel. But I've got great health. Anyway, it's a long story. You'll hear it on the episode right before this. I talked about it some and also on a Fast Feast Repeat episode when we're healthy, we don't need to not eat all these things. You know, if I were diagnosed with diabetes or cancer or whatever, maybe I need to think of food differently, but we're healthy. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. It's true. And I think there's a place for for sweets and for deep fried foods. I don't believe, I don't subscribe to, I'm very much, I loved your book, Cleanish. I love it because, I've, yeah, I've always been ish. I've always been ish. Um, I don't like to deny myself of anything because I know what's going to happen. If I say I'm not going to have this ever again, I'm going to binge and then I'm going to feel bad about it. So I'd rather just have what I want to have in moderation, enjoy it, really savor it, make it the best quality that I can find and then move on. And that's it. Absolutely. And even Jen Stevens can get diet brain. (laughs) Yeah, I think we all can. It's everywhere, Jen. It's everywhere. It is. And and it all really started, honestly. My dad was in the hospital. He was sick. And we got YouTube premium. And it like started to see what I was interested in. Then it started feeding me more of it. It's that algorithm. And so before I knew it, I'm watching everything about being plant-based. And instead of being like interested in adding more plants, I was suddenly like obsessed with only eating plants. I mean, it was like, it sounds crazy mm. when I explain it. No, it's it, but true. You know what I mean? You know, you can start going down the rabbit holes even me. And so I guess, you know, if I have to think in a perfect world, would I be my ideal perfectness if I made a list and it was only whole food plant-based and limit what, but what is that? I agree with you. I was whole food plant-based with the occasional piece of fish, which I, looking back, if I have a choice, I, I wouldn't eat fish. I'll eat shellfish. Like fish. Me too. Oh. Now that I'm eating meat, I'm like, I don't want the fish. I don't want the no. fish. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't like yeah, I just don't same. like it either. But, yeah. but it is so easy to just get caught up in, you said the word orthorexia, and 
I wasn't afraid of the foods I wasn't eating. And just like you said, you were not orthorexic either, but you do start to get in that whole, well, well, I'm not eating that. Well, I can't go to that restaurant. Then you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. It's such a liberating way of living because I'm sure we'll get to the structure of how I eat now, but I'm not eating as much. So I pick what I want to eat more mindfully and it's really what I want to eat. And it's everything now. It's everything. Let's circle back then. You were keto for a while, going down the keto path, drinking your bulletproof coffee, having your big salad, your protein, adding back the meat, and you were losing some weight. So how did that progress? And then and what did that turn into? From the keto world, I actually came in through, I had to circle back to see who this man was. His name was Dr. Dan Maggs on YouTube. So he was the first person that had spoken about intermittent fasting. He spoke a lot about low-carb living. And then that led on to Jason Fung. I read his obesity code and, oh, my God, it made me so angry, Jin. As a nurse, everything that he was saying validated suspicions that I have had for the last 20 years in my practice, I could never understand as a junior nurse why we were feeding adults with diabetes (laughs) this plate of hospital food that contained jam, two slices of highly refined white toast, coffee with, they weren't allowed to have sugar, but they had equal or like a sweet and low, but it was so sweet. And I was thinking, there's no way that your body is dumb enough to think that this is not some sort of food coming in. It's so sweet. And I remember asking one of the senior nurses one day, so we're going to give this patient all these carbs. And she said, yeah. And she was just busy getting the medications ready for the morning. We have four baths to do and all these tasks. And I said, but, and then his sugar's going to go up. We know that. And she said, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And I said, and then we're going to give him insulin. And she said, "Mm -hmm." like getting impatient with me. Like, what is this girl? (laughs) I said, why are we feeding him this? Why are we feeding him at it's all? It's crazy. Well, it's And true. she's like, I don't when know. When my dad was in the hospital, the food was awful and his blood sugar went crazy. And then they're like literally like pumping him full of insulin just to get it down. I mean, his blood sugar was like higher than ever. Yeah. And then the meal, I'm like, oh my Lord. Yeah, it's crazy, but. It's a nightmare. It's just, in my mind, I was like, I'm making extra work for myself because I'm force feeding this man at eight o'clock in the morning. Then I have to come back later and give him insulin. Then lunchtime comes around (laughs) and sometimes it was stupid. In my head, I just thought this doesn't make any sense. So yeah, even as a junior nurse, I thought this is ridiculous. So The obesity code really, really helped to see why that made no sense. Exactly. And it made me really angry. I listened to somebody on your podcast recently who had said it was like she was given the wrong map. And I was like, yes, it was. The insulin rise and fall and fat storage mechanism, all of that really, I just, it really changed something in me, Jin. And From that book, I was like, excellent. So I stayed on my keto path. I got rid of the bulletproof coffee at that point because I was like, well, this is still spiking my insulin and there's no point. Like I'm not even hungry at this time of the morning. Just leave it. Just have my black coffee. And I got to a point where I was like, well, I'm going to see how to do this intermittent fasting. Then I got sick with bronchitis twice over the Christmas period last year and I wasn't able to eat. I was probably sleeping most of the day and then having something in the late afternoon. So I dropped a a lot of weight around there and I thought, well, if I start eating normally again, I'm just going to put it all back on. So that's when I was like, let's just have a look at what this intermittent fasting business is about. So I literally went into the internet and typed in uh, intermittent fasting structure and your delay don't deny came up. So I love it. (laughs) Yes. I just was like, well, I need some help here. So I ate that book. I literally ate it. I think I sat down with it one day and I was like, I started the next day and I jumped straight into my old eating habits because I felt like your book gave me permission to do that. Uh, so I, it was, I didn't do 18.6. I just ripped the Band-Aid off and went back into my breaking fast around three or four. I had a bit of weight to lose. So I was like, let's just see what happens if I just wait till dinner time. And initially that was a bit hard 
but my body got used to it. So I realized that actually I loved the feeling of feeling empty most of the day. And it took me back to that period in my life when I had been intermittent fasting unknowingly. And I remember saying to someone, you actually don't need as much food as you think you do to thrive. Do I look weak? No. Do I look tired? That's exactly true. We do not need as much food as we think. And I recently watched the Blue Zones documentary series, the episodes on Netflix. Have you watched it yet? I added it to my list yesterday. It looks great. It is good, but they talk about that. They talk about how in Japan, you know, we know that they have the phrase Harry Hachi Boo, eat till 80% full, and they're not overeating. We do not need as much to eat as we think. I mean, you don't need to eat all day. Yeah, we do not. And it was so liberating. It was so liberating. And I thought for the longest time, I kept the way I was eating sort of quiet because I had an ex-boyfriend of mine say, it's two o'clock, you've not eaten anything yet. And he sort of alluded to the fact that maybe I was having some sort of eating disorder. And I thought, but I'm not hungry and I've clearly got fat on my body. So why do I need to eat if I'm not hungry? Right, exactly. For the longest time, I, I thought the way I was eating was something to be kept secret. And then when I read your book, I was like, yes, this is amazing. I can just go back to what I was doing before. And it has a name and it's not weird. And a yes. lot of people do it. And I can share it. I can share it with people, Jin, because before I was like, oh, what do I do? I guess I don't eat junk and I exercise, but it was so much more than that and so much less than that. But I couldn't, I couldn't wrap it up in a bow and hand it to them like I can now, which is your book. I love that. I can literally just give them a book. Exactly. That's one reason I wrote the book, so that it's easy for people to tell other people about it. You don't have to teach them anything. You just say, here, read this. <laughs> I'll tell them. And I have been. I love it. Yes. I love it. So when you started, when you knew what you were doing and you were drinking the black coffee and you were intentionally waiting, I bet having been keto for a while helped that transition for you because you were probably already fat adapted from, I was, from that bulletproof yeah. coffee. <laughs> Just a little side note, I went to Nepal and did a hike with my mom probably about eight or nine years ago now. And I actually tried the real bulletproof coffee while I was over there. And the, the real yak bulletproof butter. coffee. Oh, and I was, oh. I, I'm very adventurous soul. So I, I thought I'll try it. And we were hiking. No one wants to eat at six o'clock in the morning when you've got an eight hour trek ahead of you, but that's what they were doing. So I thought oh, I'll have it. It gave me so much stamina and I understand why they do it. It's got a lot of energy in right? there. There's a lot of energy in that cup. So you're fueling yourself from that energy you just consumed. But I don't think I've said this yet on the podcast. I um actually met Dave Asprey. I mean, I didn't really meet him. I was in a room with him at a conference that I just went to in Arizona. And I was in a, a special room. It's like a special meet and greet for someone else. But I was sitting on the couch and he walked in. <laughs> he was 10 feet away from me. And I'm like, I should go over there and talk to him. But I was like, I don't know what I would say. Hi, I'm Jen Stevens. I don't like bulletproof coffee. <laughs> Stop telling people to drink it. So anyway, I did not go introduce myself to him. I just kind of said, hello, like I would say hello to anybody, but I'm sure he got enough people introducing themselves to him, but you definitely don't want to like start up argument about Bulletproof Coffee with Dave Asprey. I watched a few interviews with him and I thought, you're just trying to sell me a product. And actually the people in Nepal, I, when they're actually drinking it, they're using it with intention and it's for hiking and working. It's not to help you get to four o'clock in the afternoon without eating and you don't need some special MCT oil added to it to make it magically change your body. Well, if I'd have had more courage, I wish I had <laughs> looking back, but it wasn't the right place for that. But I wish I could say, Dave Asprey, take the clean fast challenge. I would like to see him try it's it. It's a game just changer. See how much better. It's such a game changer. It really is. Mm. But I didn't have the courage to do that. And it, I don't think the appropriate time or place. So yeah. anyway, that'll always be like in my mind, what if I had? But I don't think he wanted to hear it. You'll probably cross paths again. I wonder if you'll say something then. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but you needed to lose a little weight still at that point when you started fasting. Yeah, I did. And I actually I just popped into my head. At that point, I had been reading on blog posts and watching in interviews and reading a few books to just try some broth, the training wheels, 
Oh my God, that made it so much harder. It made it so much harder. I know. My stomach was just growling constantly and I was just, I felt hangry all the time. So when you said to just drink the black coffee, I was like, oh, well, that's fine. It's not harsh for my stomach when it's empty. So yeah, that's, if I'm doing a longer fast, I might add a bit of salt to my water. That helped to get rid of the initial headaches. And it also, yeah, that does not break a fast. So that, that is, you can definitely do that. Yep. I want to go back to that wording that you used, training wheels. And there are definitely some in the intermittent fasting world, some gurus, some experts, some people we know and may even love, but they do say, yeah, it's the training wheels. Put a little cream, put have a little broth. It makes it so much harder. It really does. It's not making it easier. And I get it. And of course, this is coming from Jason Fung's community. And because that's the wording they use, they call it training wheels. And His perspective is, you know, I'm a doctor and I need my patients to do fasting because their health literally depends on it. So they don't want to drink black coffee. I'd rather them drink a little broth, put a little cream in there than not do it. But I think he's got one part wrong. I think that they would have more success if they were fasting clean. I think that you could tell your patients, do it like this. You'll feel better. That's true. I wonder what their compliance would be like if he took a group and did it his way with the training wheels and then did a clean fast group and saw what their compliance was like at the end of a little trial. That would be interesting. I love Jason Fung. I'm a big fan. But Me I, too. And Megan Ramos, you know, her new book, she uses the words clean fast in there. She explains what the clean fast is and then tells you about the other things. I'm like, no, so close so close. But I think they both say, yes, we think it would be better if you fasted clean. But, and I just wonder how many people will think fasting is just hard, but it's not that fasting is hard. It's that drinking broth during the day is hard. Or putting a drop of milk in your, in your tea. Like I've had, I'm not going to name names, but there's people that have heard about my intermittent fasting and they're like, well, a drop of milk's not going to do anything. And all I have to say to shut that conversation down is, If you had to have life-changing surgery, like serious surgery, and the surgeon said you cannot put any milk in your coffee or tea whatsoever, would you still do it? And they said no. And I said, well, it's the same thing. It's still food. It's still food. And, well, I can't do it then. I need my my tea or coffee or whatever in the morning with my drop of milk, which is... Part that's so sad. One drop of milk is keeping them from changing their yes. life. The benefits you can have the milk in your eating window. Yes. And that's what I do if I feel like it, which I don't now because black coffee is fine. I love it. So when you started intermittent fasting, we started to talk about this. Then I went down the rabbit hole of the training wheels idea. So how much weight did you need to lose when you actually started the fasting part intentionally with the clean fast? Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, so all up, I'm I'm shocked by this, to be honest. My mom was like, I think you look like you're at least 58 kilos. And 58 kilos, I think, was 127. I've never weighed that in my life, Jen. I've never seen those numbers on the scale. And I thought, she's out of her mind. There's no way I weigh that much or that little. So I got on the scales and I weighed 
58.5 kilos. So all up, oh, I, wow. I'd lost a lot of weight, I think. And this was in a six-month period of just clean fasting. So it was just melting off me. And I just, a side note there, I have always trained at the gym three to six days a week. I've always been fit. And I wanted to prove to myself, I just wanted to know whether does exercise actually influence changes in weight as much as diet? And I've always known that diet is 80%. It ta- it always took me 80% of the way. That's anecdotally in the literature. That's always rang true for me. But I just wanted to see with my own two eyes. I did not exercise in that time at all, but I am quite active. I walk my dogs on my days off. My job is I'm on my feet for 12 and a half hours of a shift. So I wasn't sedentary. And I remember probably about three weeks in looking at in the mirror and my stomach went completely flat. I could see the bottom of my rib cage. I could see my clavicles. And I thought, are you kidding me? Are you telling me <laughs> that I have been paying for this gym membership for 12 years and I didn't need to be doing this? I didn't need to go in that stinky gym with all those gym bros all this time, I just had to stop eating so much and just continue living my life in the active way that I'd been living it. I was in shock. That's amazing. I was in shock. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... And you're fast and clean, so your body is, you got your insulin down, your body is able to tap into your fat stores. So literally, it's like you're melting away. Like you said, it's I just did. melting that fat right away. Your body's like, there's the fat. Now we see it. Yeah. And I I remember I got to a point where I was like, okay, stop taking it from my wrist now. I need it to go away from my thighs. Like, yeah. (laughs) With these tiny little wrists. If only we could pick and choose. (laughs) Right. It's definitely a a, um, problem area for me. So I have continued to, not a problem area, but it's an area that's the most stubborn. So I work on that through exercise. But Otherwise, it's really relatively effortless for me to maintain my weight. I've just come back from Europe and I was scared to jump on the scales. I was really scared, but I thought, no, I I know what to do to lose it again. I did get carried away, but I was still fasting while I was over there. When I say carried away, I'm not a sweet tooth, but oh my gosh, Jen, they had the best ice cream. Oh, I bet. Ice cream. Yum. (sighs) ice cream and pastry stores. And so, yeah, I came back and I weighed myself a few days ago. And I, so I'm now 62.5. So I think I've gained three kilos in the time that I've been gone, but I've dropped some again. So. And where did you go? Where did you travel? My mum and I visited Spain and then we went through Italy and Greece and I finished up in France, which was deadly. Oh, the bread. I tell you what, I've never been to Europe, but I really want to. In fact, my college roommate just dropped by to have coffee with me on her way from Charleston back home a couple weeks ago. And she's like, I am learning Italian on Duolingo because she's going to go to Italy. And I'm like, well, then I'll do that too. Oh, (laughs) please do. I'm learning it. I could order a croissant. Uh, Un cornetto. That's like the first thing they teach you is how to order in a cafe. Oh, so well, that's crucial. Un cornetto. Everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. Exactly. And a cafe. I know how to order a coffee with milk. I don't know how to order it without milk. I don't know the word without yet. Okay. That was an issue for my mom and I. I got her onto the intermittent fasting bandwagon. And before we went to every country, I had to look at, because they're very particular about, and they're very passionate about their coffee in Europe. So you have to take it the way they make it. And if you ask for a long black, they'll look at you like you're speaking in a foreign language. So you have to ask for a coffee without milk their way. So it could be a frappe, it could be a a cafe americano, which I didn't know was a thing. Isn't that an espresso with water added to it? Is that what it's it, right? Yeah, we call that yeah. a long black here. Okay. Yeah, you just have to find what their version of a plain coffee is without milk. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to order. I just know how to say un cafe, por favor. That's yeah. all I can do. <laughs> Americano. That's the safest bet. Americano. There you go. That's so funny. Well, look, I'm going to, when I, if and when I make it to Europe, I'm going to eat all the things. Definitely. Yeah. And I did. I really did. I really did not put the brakes on at all. And considering how much we ate, I was still fasting about at least 18 hours a day. And I was keeping my eating windows to a max of five hours. 
And when I say that, I wasn't eating the whole time. I'd have like mum and I would often have like a little, we do a gin style. So we have like a snack and then we have our main meal. And I don't normally do dessert, but it's a habit I've gotten myself into while I was over there. Their desserts are just, just so good. I'm struggling with that now, like not finishing. You got into that habit. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> That's so neat. So you said that when you started intermittent fasting, you just quit the keto completely. Yeah. And you introduced all the foods that you missed. So now that you're in your intermittent fasting lifestyle, I know you're eating all the things from Europe, but you just basically describe how you eat now at home, <laughs> not in Europe. So I'm like you, I do love my beans and rice and legumes and pulses. I love Mexican food. So I'm very much inclined to eat that way, but I also prefer to eat more plant-based with protein. For the most part, I eat low carb. But when I say low carb, I mean, I'll still eat chickpeas. I'll still eat lentils. I just don't go overboard in the volume of rice that I have. And then maybe once a week, if I'm catching up with my family or going out for dinner, then I'll eat what I want to eat. So you're just more carb choosy. Right. Carb choosy. Yeah. You're aware. You're carb aware. If it's got fiber and if it's got other nutritional benefits to it, then I don't even really pay attention to the carbs, to be honest, because it's it's, it's not empty calories. So you are really processed carb aware. Yeah. More so than anything. I think that's a great way for all of us to be, because when I went down the rabbit hole of all the whatever I was going down, but all the people in the whole food plant-based world have the same message, and that is eat real food. They're not saying eat, you know, Wonder Bread or whatever. Mm, Frankenfood. Potato chips. Yeah. They don't want you to eat those foods. They want you to eat potatoes and high fiber whole foods and whole grains, but not refined grains. So I think if we all just ate real food, there, there we would all be. It would make such a difference. There's no issue. That actually, between your book and Jason Fung's book, I did make one adjustment that I thought, I always knew smoothies were not really good for me. Not Obviously, I stayed away from packaged. If it's in a packet, I never, I didn't want it. We do have like smoothie bars here and I'd always go for the one that's got like celery, cucumber, mint. So lowest amount of sugar that you can get. But since I started clean fasting, I would rather just have the whole fruit. So that's something that I've eliminated. I just don't feel the need. It's just a quick sugar input with a quick insulin spike. And I'd just rather eat the whole apple with some peanut butter and feel full. Oh, yum. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that's uh, new for me. So, yeah, and I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying having the whole food. Yeah, and that really is true because when it's like if you're juicing or if it's really, really broken down, you're right. It breaks down the fiber and it just goes straight into your bloodstream and you have that spike. Like when I have a a daily harvest smoothie sometimes after dinner and Chad and I split one and it's after a good dinner. So it doesn't have that that whole spiking, but it's like just a little bit of something. And splitting's a great idea. That was, I think, uh, a way that my mom and I mitigated the... (laughs) the pastry overload in Europe is that we got to try a lot of different things together because we split everything. So I didn't have any sort of guilt around the food I was eating because we were sharing a lot of things, unless it was something epic, then then I'd say, no, I want the whole thing on my own. I get it. Well, Chad likes to share things. And when we first started with the Daily Harvest Smoothies, what was really kind of funny is I would make one and we would share it, but he would want to drink half of his half and then put it in the fridge till tomorrow. I'm like, uh-uh, no. Uh-uh. Oh, no, it doesn't <laughs> taste the same the next day. We're not saving that <laughs> in the fridge till tomorrow. So finally, I conditioned him to drink in a whole half. Yeah. So he would finish the whole half. I'm like, we're not going to have a fourth of a smoothie, Chad. Oh, it's like a mouse <laughs> but he can, bits and pieces. Well, he talked about how naturally thin people just like, dee, dee, dee. that's Chad. Like he gets like yogurt, like a little container of yogurt, like a little one, and he'll eat two bites and then wrap it up, put it back in the fridge. <laughs> My mom would call he that a never, mouse. The mouse has come. Well, he's yeah. never had a weight problem and <laughs> more power to him. I am not making fun of it. I That is definitely not me though. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm like, what? He, he eats like a little bit of an avocado. I'm like, what are you doing? Anyway. No, you have to eat the yeah. whole avocado. That was one thing that I was afraid oh. of. I used to just have half an avocado because they're so full of fat. Now I'll eat the whole avocado because the fat is amazing. It's got so much benefits. Yeah. One avocado is the serving size. Yeah, it is. It doesn't matter how big it is. Yeah, that's the whole serving. So, well, so let's go on and tell me some of your non-scale victories. So something that came into my mind the other day was that I I don't want to say everything that's already been said. So obviously you get the confidence, the freedom and the peace around food, but it's a powerful investment into my future. And I look at it like health insurance and it's the ultimate self-love that you can give yourself every single day. Every single day it teaches me that I can do hard things, that I can be disciplined that what I'm doing on a small scale is going to add up when I'm in my 60s, 70s, 80s. I'm not going to be frail. I'm going to be strong. And it's that mindset of not being scared of what the future holds for me. I've seen a lot of patients that have had very short health spans, which for people that don't know what a health span is, it's different to a a life or age span. It's You could live for 80 years, but your health deteriorates in your 50s due to accident, chronic illness, what have you. And my biggest fear was that my health span was going to be short for whatever reason. And because I had been around cancer, diabetes, dementia for so long, I was terrified that something was going to take away my vitality, my social connections, my ability to look after myself. So that was a huge driving force for me, Jin. And it should be a huge driving force for other people. I understand I've got perspective that a lot of people don't have and I don't take that for granted whatsoever. But that is my main why. I'm young now. I'm 37, but I'm not going to be young forever. I'm not going to be young forever. And it's for me, this is like putting money in the bank. And it's a um, a comfort knowing that I'll be able to look after myself if I don't have children, if I don't have a partner for whatever reason, that I'll still be vital in old age. That's so important. You know, that's my why now. And that's, again, why I overcorrected with food because my dad was just a little bit younger than I am right now when he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. It's a lifestyle um, problem type 2 diabetes. Yeah. I think that's the most, for me, I never could get my head around the, like you're eating yourself into a chronic illness and how come people can't stop? Why can't they stop? And I think it's, it's so hard. And, you know, have you read ultra processed people? Have you seen that book? Ultra processed people. That's why people can't stop. Because first of all, people don't understand. We have been taught by the food industry that it's just calories in, calories out. And if you think it's calories in, calories out, then what does it matter what your calories are made of? But when you understand, when you read ultra-processed people and cleanish and all the books that are out there that talk about real food, the obesity code, you understand that it's the food and we've been just really hoodwinked. A calorie is not a calorie. It's just not. You can't say that 50 calories worth of an avocado is going to have the same effect on your body as 50 calories worth of an Oreo. It just, it, it's true. It doesn't make sense. And just quickly, I saw an interview recently about a guy who was basically exposing Big Pharma and he said something that it really stuck with me and I want to share it with you. He said, you have to be relentless. You have to be more relentless than big pharma. You have to be more relentless than big food because they have got the most intelligent, most driven people working around the clock to appeal to your primitive brain. Yeah. And that's why They're you know, relentless. That's why I want to make it clear. The people who have these lifestyle diseases have just been following, they're eating the food that's in the grocery store and they're believing calories in, calories out, and that doesn't matter what they are. So it's a lot deeper than that. Well, Laura, we are almost out of time. So in 30 seconds or less, what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting? I would tell them to show up every day to intermittent fasting like your life depends on it because it does. I think that's important. It really does. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jen. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. 
the world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.